Hello, and welcome back to Reclaiming Our Canon. I am your host, Dr. Anika Prather. Last time, our first episode, our inaugural episode, I shared a little bit of my story, just a little. I didn't want to give away these next few episodes. Uh, But I also share with you an allegory I wrote called The Human Storybooks. And it's a story I wrote to kind of capture my heart of what I feel about the importance of us appreciating each other's canons and how reading classics, reading the works of the canon is an exercise in that. Me as an African-American woman, reading something they would call the Western canon is me stepping outside of my cave and seeing what this canon is about. And I've come to realize in my journey that all those years of me thinking that the Western canon was not for me, I came to realize that it is all of our stories. Okay. And so this episode is going to go a little deeper into my journey and matter of fact, this is a series of three episodes. I've taken my very long story full of all types of detours to where we are now in my life. And I've broken it up to three parts. So today's episode is going to be part one of my story of how I came to fall in love with classics and how I came to fall in love with the works of the canon. The summer of 1999, I was about to begin my master's program at NYU in educational theater. I just knew I was headed for Broadway. My mom, dad, and I decided to drive up to New York City to secure my housing and to tour the city. We stayed in New York for a couple of days and then headed up to Scroon Lake, New York for a family vacation at Word of Life Retreat Center. I had a lot on my mind that summer. It was my first time moving away from home. I graduated from Howard University in 1995, which was a short distance from where I grew up. One thing that was not on my mind was classical studies or any of the books of the canon of Western civilization. While we were at the retreat center, my mom somehow stumbled upon a pamphlet about how to start a classical school. To this day, I have no idea why this grabbed her attention so much. But from that moment on, she and my dad set to work on opening the first primarily African-American classical school in the Southern Maryland area. I thought they were a little crazy, to say the least. To me, it seemed to be illogical to teach Black students about a type of study that had nothing to do with them, but everything to do with those who enslaved them. My parents asked me if once I graduated from NYU, would I be interested in teaching at the school? Without hesitation and a really ugly frown on my face, I said, no, absolutely not. Well, I went away to NYU and my parents gathered their school board together. And for about two years, They met every week planning for the school to open the following year. They did not pay me any attention. No matter how much I tried to tell them about how important it is to find value only in our heritage, it did not matter. I really think they felt a call from God. Now that I look back, I know that they felt a call from God to do this. Okay, I was able to finish my graduate degree in 12 months. 
and I came back to the D.C. area to teach again for the public school system. My parents were still working on opening their school. And living back at home with them, I continued to hear these whispers, you know, about their growing passion for classical education. And at the time, it seemed to be a shock. But now as I'm reflecting on how I grew up, it should not have been. You know, I I recall my mom saying, I don't care what you do this summer, but you're reading all of Chronicles of Narnia. (laughs) You're reading all of Tolkien. Okay, And and that was my life. And my parents were very adamant about uh, uh, immersing my brother and I in all types of literature, not just about the Black narrative, but all types of literature. And both of my parents are avid readers. I grew up in a home that always had a library in it, floor to ceiling bookshelves. And I just remember my parents sitting down and reading and going to the library and talking about literature. Another thing my parents liked to do was have us watch the movies of books. We would read the books and we'd watch the movie. Um, This is how I came to fall in love with C.S. Lewis and watching the old cartoon of The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, which I still love. This is me growing up in D.C., up the street from Howard University. That is what was going on in my house. So them starting a classical school, now that I think about it, makes perfect sense. I was able to finish my graduate degree in 12 months, and I came back to the D.C. area to teach again for the public school system. My parents were still working on opening their school, and I was not impressed. I'm a chocolate-skinned, dreadlock-wearing graduate of Howard University. Those books are not for me, so I thought. I was so baffled about how my parents came to this point. These are the same people who gave me an African first and middle name, Anika and Tanae, both Yoruba. Anika means goodness, and Tanae means love. These same people decorated the house I grew up in with African art and sculptures. My dad was a graduate and professor of Howard University. My mother also was a graduate of Howard University. They dedicated their time teaching my brother and I about Black and African history and even gave us a unique perspective on Christianity also being in ancient Africa. That was my worldview. So on the one hand, I'm able to appreciate works of the Western canon, But on the other, I'm learning about ancient African civilizations and the identity of Blackness in the Holy Scriptures. These are the same people who made my brother and I watch Roots. (laughs) My dad was a pastor who almost every Sunday preached on Black history and the history of Blacks in America. My mom's uniform was an Afro or some type of African dress and big hoop earrings. I was astounded. I thought they had completely lost themselves. How did they come to this place? But little did I know, this also was a part of their childhood. As I talk to my parents now, as they were in unsegregated schools in the South, they talk about the classical influence in their classroom when they were young. Both of my parents were avid readers. As I shared earlier, our home had a huge library. On the shelf, I would see the autobiography of Malcolm X, the Quran, Shakespeare, Khalil Gibran, and C.S. Lewis. At any given time, I could see either of them fully engrossed in some philosopher or theologian. And it did not matter what race they were. 
They gave us the Chronicles of Narnia and the Lord of the Rings, but also Martin Luther King and Frederick Douglass. On the one hand, my mom was always correcting our sentences to make sure our subject-verb agreement was correct. And in the next breath saying, girl, you are so crazy. Reflecting on this, I started to begin to understand. As Socrates declared himself to be, they desired for my brother and I both to become citizens of the world. I was finishing my second year back in the public school system after my master's in educational theater was complete at NYU. And my mom asked me again if I had any interest in teaching at the school they were opening. I had become disillusioned with the public school system, with its focus on testing, lack of focus on building critical thinking in children, and failure to give students the freedom to pursue knowledge in religion, mine being Christianity. Reading the old ancient religious texts is such an integral part to a very global understanding. I had already been thinking about leaving after that school year. I was still leery about joining the school. I had not read enough about the philosophy to be as passionate about classical education as my parents were. Again, to me, it was just a bunch of dead white men trying to whitewash my worldview, right? Even still, after a little more coaxing, I agreed to join the teaching staff as the music and drama teacher at what would come to be the Washington Classical Christian School. But I was only going to teach music and drama. There was no way anyone was going to convince me that I was going to immerse myself in reading great books and making beautiful Black children read great books or classics or the Western canon. In fact, I was going to use my class to make sure they knew their history and were proud of it. But God had other plans. We're going to take a Selah moment right here in this episode. And I want you to enjoy some original jazz from yours truly and take time to think about what I've shared so far about my journey, the misconceptions I had about Black people reading classics or the works of the canon. And when we come back, we're going to find out if I really was able to stay in my little performing arts corner at the Washington Classical Christian School. We'll be right back.
but my mind can't get past it. Cause here I am, and you're still not here. My darling, come. Will you fill this empty space? Will I dream? Or will I really see your face? What's taking so Hope you enjoyed that song. Welcome back to the next part of this story. I wonder what will happen. Within my first year in the school, I found myself feeling such a sense of relief and peace. No pressures about testing, just beautiful and happy children learning to fall in love with learning, thinking, and believing. I still steered clear of the classical parts of the school and stayed safe in my corner of the school, enjoying teaching my students about music and drama and Black history, organizing all the school performances. We would sing Negro spirituals. I taught them field songs like Follow the Drinking Gourd, and it it goes something like this. When the sun comes back and the first quail calls, Follow the drinking gourd, for the old man's waiting for to carry you to freedom. Follow the drinking gourd. And I would teach them about constellations and how their ancestors could read the stars. And this knowledge helped them get their way to freedom. I loved being in my corner of performing arts. I was in my happy place. 
until one day something happened to totally stir up the contented life I had settled into. Okay, so before going any further, I I just want to explain something. I want you to know a little bit about this school. I want you to go with me. Let's take a pause. There's an old pastor that says, put a quarter in the meter right there. Let me tell you about this magical place called the Washington Classical Christian School. I, I, I have yet to see anything like it. It only lasted for 10 years. And on the day that it closed, I grieved as if someone had died. By the time it closed 10 years later, I was able to see the vision my mom and dad had about bringing the classical tradition to the Black community. And so I was heartbroken. The Washington Classical Christian School had beautiful students, all shades of brown, with kente cloth vests. And they spent their days diving in and out of classics, in and out of the worst in canon, and in and out of Black stories and history. We did recitations. I remember us reciting the Gettysburg Address at the Ford's Theater stage. We exposed our students to so, so much. They learned Latin. They learned Greek. They learned theology. They read Augustine and Aristotle and Socrates and Animal Farm and the autobiography of Martin Luther King and the narrative of Frederick Douglass and Terrence the African. They read everything. And you could see their minds opening. You you could see their worldview expanding. You could hear it in how they spoke and articulated their worldviews. They defended their theses at the end of the year. It was a glorious school. 95% of the teachers were Black. There was one teacher, especially, who white came into our school and treated it like he was a part of the community. Devin, you were such a blessing if you can hear me right now. The staff spent their summers being the only chocolate faces at most classical education conferences and trainings. And so we were all pretty strong in understanding Dorothy Sayers and the key components of classical education. We became well-versed in the trivium. We learned why students should know Latin, why students should take rhetoric and logic, and why students should be proficient in reading the great books. The one thing that was missing, however, which is probably why I was so slow to find my passion for this type of education and ultimately my passion for great books, is that I could not see any bridge between myself, my people, and studying the Western tradition. In those early years of my journey, it was just something good to do to help students be as smart as white people. It was a competition. I had to learn to do this journey into classical education so that it's not about me competing or my people competing with white people. It had to be about the soul. It had to be a personal journey. We had to see its benefit for ourselves. I am a soul learner. My mom thinks this is why I struggled in school myself as a child growing up, because if I was not passionate about something, if I didn't see that the purpose of it for myself, I wasn't doing it. I had no interest in learning it. I didn't care if everyone else was doing it. I had to see its purpose for myself. 
Even the threat of failing a grade would not motivate me back then. So no matter how much my mom and dad would tell me this is what is needed in the Black community, even as I was watching students really thrive under this type of education, for me, someone who had always wrestled with loving her dark skin and her Black roots and her African roots, now I was at a place where I had embraced it so much that I needed that connection for me to get on board with this. If I wasn't feeling it, I wasn't getting into it. I wasn't going to learn it. So let's go back to that moment. You've heard a little bit about the Washington Classical Christian School. So let's go back to how I found a connection there that I really feel God uniquely set up just for me. I was walking down the hallway at the school one day when I happened to catch a glimpse of the Great Books class. The class was made up of six high school Black male students. The teacher was an awesome teacher and one fully committed to the education of Black students. But she found herself really struggling to get the students to engage They were leaning back in their chairs, talking, throwing things around, just overall disinterested in the text. She was frustrated. When I asked her about how it was going, she let me know that it did not make sense for the school to be making these students read the text because they were not culturally relevant. On the surface, I felt she was right. But in my heart, I felt a sense of loyalty to the vision my parents had, even if I did not agree with it or parts of it. So I agreed to help her by using music and drama to help the students connect to the books. I had taken some classes on how to use drama to help students to engage in difficult literature while at NYU. So I was willing to help any way I could if it would help the school overall. Now, this story sounds like a setup. I I feel like God set me up. You know, I was all big and bad and proud and saying, these books are not relevant to my people. I don't want to just read it so we can be like white people. That, That was my thinking. God has a sense of humor. He knew how to rope me in. I have a love for the arts that is pretty insatiable. If I'm not reading classics or you're not hearing me talk about classics, I am doing something artistic. I am writing a poem. I am singing. I am crocheting. I am knitting. I'm doing something to create. And he knew creativity would be the bridge for me, the first bridge for me. So as I was trying to assist this teacher with her class by showing her how to use music and drama in her great books class. God set me up. I got my list of books and found copies of the books and took them home to begin reading and studying so I could create my lesson plans. One reason this process drew me in was because of how I came to really connect with Aristotle's poetics while studying at NYU. I didn't realize that when I was at NYU and reading through his poetics, I did a project where I wrote a play about the alabaster box and the woman who wiped God Jesus's feet with her tears. And I used Plato's poetics as a format. It was a project for the play. 
And I finished the project by having it performed at my church. And I discovered that the formula works. There is a catharsis. Aristotle's formula works hands down. And all of the setup that I even had a chorus in my play, three women in my church, you know, singing different songs to kind of tie the play's scenes together. And I had a buildup leading to that final moment. And I remember sitting in my director's chair, watching this play, The Alabaster Box, looking around the auditorium and seeing everyone in tears. And that was my connection to Aristotle. And Aristotle and I would reconnect and my love for him would be reignited as I came more into this journey. When Aristotle says art imitates nature, that somehow resonated with me as I was forming my thinking on theater and education. I felt that if a student could somehow connect to a text by dramatizing it, and somehow the text would become a part of them and open their minds to understanding. By dramatizing the text, they could become one with the text. So this class would be my first laboratory to test this perspective. Little did I know that by doing this little experiment, my entire course of life would change forever. To no surprise, Bringing drama into the Great Books class worked wonderfully. The students became so engaged with the text that they could write about the text, speak about the text, and it totally changed their overall worldview and sense of selves. Now that they were understanding the text, they felt smart and capable. Even with this success and eventually taking over the class, I was still not convinced of the importance of reading these texts. Seeing how reading and engaging with the texts impacted the students did nothing for my self-motivation. At this point, I was collecting a check. And I guess relishing in the victory of getting the students to engage in the literature was enough? I don't know. I honestly felt that Black people still had no need to read these texts. We could live and thrive in this world without having these texts as a part of our lives it still seemed like a waste of time. It actually still felt like someone was saying, this is the best education. We must go to white people to get a good education. I wrestled with that. I needed to see the canon. I needed to see classics as something different. I hope you can appreciate my thoughts on that and it not offend you. I know God knew my heart. He knew I was genuine. He knew I wanted to believe in this. I could see something happening. I just felt like, okay, this, what I'm seeing, the change in the intellectual growth I'm seeing in these students, why can't this happen with just Black literature and Black history? Why do we have to depend on the Western canon to bring this about? One evening, my parents and I were relaxing in our family room watching TV. I lay sprawled on the sectional couch, and next to me was a bookshelf. I turned my head to scan the titles of books on the shelf and saw Du Bois's Souls of Black Folk. I am a woman of faith, and I believe that nothing happens by accident. So when I say that this next moment was magical, I cannot emphasize it enough. 
the next moment changed my entire mindset in a matter of seconds. I picked up the book and the book literally fell open to the essay of the training of black men. I read the essay and was slowly being drawn into the philosophical world of Du Bois. Specifically, I was learning about his thoughts on why classical education is a way whereby Black people can free their minds. Freeing the mind will ultimately free the soul and then free the body. How? He views that learning Western studies reveals an equality in both races. Now, I'm going to unpack exactly what that means in our next episode. I really enjoyed my time with you today, getting you started on understanding the evolution that happened to me as I came to fall in love with classics. I decided to make these three episodes about my journey in deep detail so you can understand where I'm coming from, where my heart is. And if you have been a person that have questioned the relevancy of classics to Black people or any people, may my story inspire you. In our next episode, we're going to look even more at how Du Bois spoke to me, how I came to understand why these texts were relevant to Black people? Why did the boys feel like studying the Western canon unveiled an equality in all races? I hope to explain that to you even deeper in our next episode of Reclaiming Our Canon. I look forward to that time with you. I hope you will join me next time. I am Dr. Anika Prather. Thank you for joining me.